0: I still think he might be the best candidate. This is a glorified ambassador role, I think. I do know why I am opting for one particular candidate. How
1: do you actually think you can successfully win a contest against Michael D. Higgins?
0: Welcome to The Candidate, the Journal.ie's in-depth look at who's running in the presidential campaign. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and I've sat down with each hopeful to get a closer look at who they are and what they want to do as president. Just a note before we get into the interview with Peter Casey, it was actually undertaken before he made his controversial comments about the traveller community. We'll discuss those comments and the aftermath of same with Ronan Duffy after the interview.
2: I mean the presidency is an incredible tool for furthering the interests of people in Ireland and the president could and should be uh, a guiding light
0: I'm joined by our senior reporter Michelle Hennessy in the DIT Ainger Street studio Michelle you're going to tell us a little bit more about Peter Casey someone not everybody is familiar with but who is he? So, if people do know him, they probably know him
1: best as a panelist on the Dragons Den TV show. He's actually one of three dragons running in the selection. Um, so, the 60 year old Dairy Man is uh, the founder and former executive chairperson of uh, the US recruitment firm Cladder Resources. So, he's lived in, actually out of Ireland for a lot of his life. He lived in America for a number of years. Um, he also lived and worked in the UK and in Sydney, Australia, where he set up his first company that was called uh, the Trinity Group in 85. Now, in recent years, he has been back in. Ireland uh, in 2015. He actually spoke about running for the and um, but nothing came of this. He did attempt to run for the Shannon the following year, but he was unsuccessful there. Um, he, he said, uh, you know, about being away for, from Ireland for so long, it's given him a, a kind of a unique perspective that will be helpful for the job. He said sometimes you don't appreciate how good it is to be Irish. Um, but when you go around the world, you really appreciate what it is to be Irish.
0: He's actually been a pretty colourful candidate so far. What are the moments that stand out in the campaign?
1: Well there are a good few um, I, I've picked out just a few of Some that we can go through Recently he actually offered uh, To give his fellow candidate Joan Freeman a loan She had spoken about her difficulty In raising funds for the race uh, And he said in a radio interview That he had offered Senator Freeman a loan With an interest rate of 7% On a five year term Now it's it's not clear whether or not That was a joke um, But as far as I know She hasn't taken him up on it And uh, the helicopter yeah, so uh, Casey used a helicopter to get to and from the council meetings uh, when he was trying to secure a nomination from the local authorities to contest the election. Um, he, he said when he was asked about it that he, you know he came into the race quite late. Um, he also blamed uh, President Higgins for taking so long, delaying the uh, announcing his intention to stand. And um, he said because of that he, he had ten council meetings to attend in one day. And uh, he was quoted as saying it wasn't that expensive anyway. It's not that expensive for for Peter Casey anyway
0: and probably we've all seen the golf video at this point, but just explain for anybody who actually hasn't seen it. The infamous golf video.
1: So he tweeted a video of himself claiming that the only driver he would be bringing to the Auris is his golf club. And then he then hit a ball into the sea, basically. Uh, now, this didn't go down well. And he later said that he, he regretted it. Um, he, he was quoted as saying, like many of my golf drives, that's uh, one I'd like to have a mulligan. Uh, that's a golfing term for a do-over, apparently, uh, on. Uh, I It wasn't one of my, I didn't realize I uh, think that one through, is what he said. And he said, certainly it's a moment uh, that he would like to take over again. He said, I'd drive it down the beach.
0: Uh, there's been a lot of talk in this campaign, um, even before it even properly started, about the finances of the Oris and the finances of the com- candidates and their campaigns. Where does Casey stand on the money? Obviously, he has plenty of it. He does.
1: And, you know, the finances has been really the topic of the campaign so far. Uh, very early on, before he'd even secured nominations, he said he wouldn't accept any of the €1.7 million euro salary if he was successful. Uh, And he described the salary as bonkers. Uh, There'd probably be mixed views on this among the public. He said he believes the Taoiseach should be paid more than the president. Some of his salary, he said, would go to county councils. But bear in mind, he said this at a time when he was seeking nominations from the county councils.
0: So he has got those nominations. um, And what has the focus of his campaign been since then?
1: So his main focus has been on the Irish abroad and this sort of feeds into his own time abroad which he says has given him this new insight. Um, According to his his campaign, which is under the banner Small Country, Big Nation, Casey plans to leverage the economic and social resource represented by Ireland's extensive diaspora. So he's spoken about energising the diaspora, encouraging Irish people abroad to send their children to Ireland for a few weeks um, to get them to know what it means to be Irish. And he said he wants people to get their Kids to drink the Irish Kool Aid. That's a quote from him. Um, Casey described himself as a truly independent candidate. He promised to bring the same level of energy and commitment to the role as he had uh, in every job and business that he's worked in. And he's also said that, you know, there's no politics involved in this for him. Uh, in his campaign launch, he interestingly said that if he's not successful this time, he will run again. So this might not be the last we see of him if he's not successful.
0: Okay. Thanks very much, Michelle. I talked to Peter Casey about his run for the Shannon his time on television in Ireland and why he's making the move for the Ors now. Um,
2: well, the RS has always been a goal of mine. Uh, I've, uh, When I left Ireland back in 81, uh, I remember telling my mother that I was going to come back one day and stand for president. Uh, things in my personal life have uh, evolved. We've now essentially almost become empty nesters. Uh, we've sold our home, bought a home here in Ireland. Uh, and the timing is now, I, mean, I've, I believe that the presidency is a role that you really can make an impact in the global stage as an influencer. And, you know, Ireland is such an amazing you know country in terms of the fact that 11 times the number of people who are Irish live outside of the country. Uh, 1.5 million people who were born in Ireland have now moved out of Ireland and uh, so we've got this amazing diaspora uh, not just the one and a half million who are born here who've moved but there's a I, I believe that the the diaspora that we have is our by far our most underutilized and undervalued national asset and if we can learn how to utilize that national asset to the benefit of the people here in Ireland our attraction would be in the We're world stage. What the president do? Well, the president is, uh, as well as being the, inf- the commander-in-chief, he's actually the influencer-in-chief. So the president uh, has a, an ability to, every time somebody comes here from another country, they meet the president. He, he only has maybe 15 or 20 minutes with him, but he's got the ability to influence them. And, for example, if we had the, uh, the 75 million Irish people connected, when... The shop goes to America and he meets with the president in America. He can explain to him, there's 40 million people here in America that I can influence. When he goes to Australia, he can turn around and say, there's 5 million people here that I can influence. Well, we've
0: had lots of... Uh, things like that we've had the Gathering Connect Ireland all of these different initiatives that have been run through politicians yeah. so what, why would you be different in, well, than any of, of those things None of them have
2: been run by somebody who's got my experience in terms of you know I've lived a third of my life in uh, America and a third in Australia and a third in Ireland UK and you know I, I've I understand how the technology that's involved in it. I understand big data analytics. I understand how to talk to people who can uh, influence and who can make things happen. And if we can do that, combine it with a couple of other programs. For example, uh, one of my other programs that I want to uh, support and uh, lend my, 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 my the office of the president to would be to have a birthright program where you'd encourage people, the children of. Uh, Irish people overseas to come over to Ireland, spend time a couple of weeks in the Giltach, go up to Derry and understand uh, Belfast, understand how the Troubles came about, uh, understand how uh, partition and how it happened, and then spend a week down in Dublin, uh, understand the Irish history, the evolution of how this state came into creation, the Civil War, and then when they go back when they go back to their country of origin, Australia or South Africa or America, they'll be so fired up and understand you know how what a privilege it is to be Irish. Yeah, you know, I, I sometimes think that you actually have to leave Ireland to really understand how amazing it is to be Irish.
0: So, what what about the people who are still here? Then, so you're talking a lot about using the diaspora as our asset, or what you can do for those mm-hmm. Irish people who who aren't living on the island right now. What if you're the president for the, for those of us who are living here? Well, you're
2: the president for everybody who's got an Irish passport. Now, but this platform would be a great benefit uh, to, for example the small businesses, they would be able to, this platform, they'd be able to put their products and their market their products to the Irish abroad. You know, I've got a house in in Atlanta and it's full of all sorts of Irish things because Irish people love Irish things, partly because it reminds them of home, but you know. So they're a great market for small uh, SMEs to actually market their products through this platform um, also it would be a big boost for tourism because the when the, the children uh, from the Irish parents come overseas uh, to Ireland they'll be spend they'll be spending money everywhere they go and uh, their parents will come over with them uh, the father may be going golfing or the mother might be golfing or her whatever but they'll they'll be spending money in Ireland and so it'll be a big boom uh, boost for the tourists as well.
0: It's it's very obvious that you love Ireland and you talk a lot about being an Irish person in America. And obviously, you have part of your business here and, and a home here. But you didn't raise your children here, and you talked about being empty nester. And previously, you mm-hmm. said you just you wanted to come back earlier, but you wanted your child to to continue schooling in America. Is America a better place to to raise children? I don't
2: think so. Uh, it just so happened that. You, you, you tend to get stuck in places, I'm sure. You know, you, I went to Australia for a year and ended up getting stuck there for a long time. Uh, you know, it just uh, two of my children were actually born in Australia. Uh, and 3 uh, got three Georgia peaches, they called girls in Georgia. So I've got three wonderful daughters. Um, one of my daughters wants to come over to study uh, in UCD next year, which is looking at either UCD or Trinity, she's taken very, her brother's studying at uh, Trinity, so at the moment. Uh, so they're they're all spreading out, going different directions.
0: Do you think you would have run this campaign if the other two, your previous colleagues in, from Dragon's Den, didn't?
2: Well, uh, Sean was always going to run again. You know, he's, kind of sort of been running since he lost the last time so I uh, you know I, I think that uh, there was never a doubt that Sean would definitely uh, put his hat in the ring I've always made it clear that I was going to put my hat in the ring uh, it was a bit unfortunate I, I got ill uh, about six weeks ago so uh, that's what slowed down my launching of my campaign Gavin was the one that actually surprised me I genuinely didn't think Gavin was interested. And, you know, I used to say to Gavin, because we're, we're good friends, I'd say, yeah, you know, you should, you know, become a, a TD and you'd become a minister without a doubt. And he goes, no, no interest in politics at all. You know, and he's, he always laughed at my... And he scoffed when I, I told him I was standing for president probably four or five years ago.
0: And uh, is it the campaign that you're, you wanted to do or the actual presidency you want to be in the URSS?
2: Well, the campaign is what you need to do to get in there. So, <laughs> well, I'm asking that
0: because you haven't put the amount of money they say you need to spend to actually c- I, compete in it. I, well, You're, you you have said it's probably a hundred thousand you'll spend. It's not the money that people think you need to spend to win it.
2: Well, I'll spend whatever money I have to spend to win it. So I'm not, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, we're we're going down now. We're 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 investing in social media. We're investing in, uh, you know, so. They asked me. It's very hot. It's a mean, you know, the maximum you can spend is seven fifty. I don't think anybody will spend anywhere near that. Maybe uh, uh, Leah Nirada might with her 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 her, bus and her ninety thousand dollars worth of of uh, of uh, billboards and posters and whatnot. She might, but I don't think that. You know, I I understand how social media works. I understand. Um, you know, I don't think spending. Uh, 200,000 a week for the next three weeks is going to get me it might get me uh, half a million Twitter followers and half a million but you know that doesn't translate into votes What are you going to spend the money on? I'm spending it on very uh, focused we're going to be trying to visit almost every county in the next two weeks uh, you know we're going to have our team going to all the different counties uh, and and meet people and explain the platform so you know tomorrow we're in Galway Sligo and then up to Donegal How big
0: is your team? Uh,
2: we've got uh, we've just appointed a manager there last week uh, we've got about Eight people on the team, so it's it's not a, it's not a it's not like we've got like Fein where we've got maybe probably hundreds of people uh, supporting and whatnot. I'm not convinced that that is what's needed to actually win. I think you need to. Uh, I think the debates will be very serious and very important, and I think you know people will get a chance when they see and they've heard me already in one of the debates. Um, and I think when they see me uh, perform in the debates and they'll understand that, you know, there's not a single person uh, that I've met in a family in Ireland who hasn't got a, a brother or a sister, a son or a daughter, or, a, a, an aunt or an uncle who has actually left Ireland. And I think that, you know, there, a time now is to really, we can connect now We've never been able to do it the way we've been able to do it now. And we just need somebody to give it a good nudge to, to get the platform moving.
0: Yeah, I think that all sounds logical if we were talking in seven years time when there's no incumbent. But at the moment, there's an incumbent who has popularity rating of 65%.
2: Is it only 65? Gosh, it's gone down it's, a few It's then. 65,
0: 67, little around, yeah, margin down. of error.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I mean, if you took the attitude that you can't win and it's, you know, then I would never have set up my companies. Uh, you know, I would never have. A failure is not, uh, it's not something that l- the slightest uh, concern to me, I feel. You know, a lot of the things I do, I haven't worked out. I've got selective amnesia when it comes to my stocks. You know, uh, I, I never remember a bad investment in the stock market, but I've had lots of them. But, you know, I, I think that if you if you were to take the attitude that just because he's so far ahead, um, I mean, if you remember, Sean Gallagher was very far ahead two or three days before the last election. And as Harold Wilson That got
0: dirty. Would you be willing to get dirty to, to, for that to happen in this campaign?
2: I don't think it got dirty. I think he was asked a question and he's messed up the answer. I don't think that was dirty.
0: The the entire campaign got dirty, not that specific action.
2: Uh, I wasn't actually following it as closely as as obviously you were, you know, because uh, I was actually in Ireland at the time of the uh, the P. J. debate, where it was half Gaelic and and uh, you know, in Irish and in English, and uh, I was watching it with my mother, and she actually was fluent, you know, and she would go down to Ranafast and Anigri, uh, three or four times a year. And it was lovely to hear her talking in Irish and she was, like, she was such so good at it. But she said to me, son, you know, if you do actually decide to stand, like they're butchering the language. You know, she said, look, that's just awful to listen to. So don't pretend that you can speak, you know, until you can, you know, and uh, so... When I become president, I'm going to make it an absolute crash course and make it one of my top priorities to be as fluent as I can be uh, within six months.
0: Have you started that process?
2: Uh, I haven't had time yet because I've it's been sort of eighteen hours a day, twenty hours a day almost since I, since I put my hat in the ring, you know. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I obviously did a little bit of brushing up when I was addressing the council, so I could actually, you know, uh, do a couple of three or four minutes in Gaelic at the beginning, but uh, it's, you know, it'll come quickly. I, I I used to be fluent in French, and, and, and then I noticed when I went over to France there uh, last year, uh, I found after three or four days, it was all starting to come back, you know, so...
0: You mentioned there you're having selective amnesia around your business dealings, but you've also said your business interests, uh, the, the business interests of any candidates shouldn't be declared. Um, from someone who's going to be voting, do you not think to know you, we have to know your business, to know your business, we have to have the full information?
2: Um, I'm quite happy to divulge, you know, my financial returns and whatnot if um you know, if everyone else does the same. So, you know, I've said that. So I'm, I've nothing. I've always maintained... Would you not
0: lead on that then? Just put it all out, be the, be the leader?
2: Uh, uh, no, I don't think that's the way to do it. I think if everybody is prepared to do it, then they should all agree to do it and then I'll do it. I've got, uh, you know, I've always given the same instructions to my accountants on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, and, uh, you know, like last year, my tax return was 187 pages long. So, you know, I, I have no idea... I know what the final numbers were, but, you know, you just, at the end of the day, you just sign what the accountants tell you to sign. So, but I'm quite happy to to do that and divulge my financials if other people do the same thing. That,
0: that spotlight on business, I was trying to research for this podcast and was looking at how, how do you get to, to know Peter Casey a bit better than maybe just the, the headlines that have been made over the last um, few weeks. And I was looking at kind of what kind of boss is he? He's obviously a very successful businessman. He's made a lot of money. He has a lot of people who would have worked for him over over the years. What what would they say about you?
2: You know, um, I think. Uh, I've got people who've worked for me for 23 years uh, who's my currently my longest serving employee. Uh, quite a few people have worked uh, for me, are working for me for the next after 23 years. I've got one person who's worked for me for 20 years and then I've got a uh, few that have been with me for 12, 14 years. Uh, and, but it is a tough enough business in as much that You know, it's a very high level uh, and it's essentially a, a, it's confidential search. So a lot of the work you're doing, sometimes they're very long term searches. It can take three to six months to do, you know, a C search level. Um, So it, it can be frustrating for some people if you haven't got that long term approach to it. But I think everybody, I mean, the fact that I've got people who've worked for me for so long. Uh, means that I'm doing something right.
0: Yeah, because I was looking at, and um, you're obviously aware of the different reviews of companies and the different reviews. Obviously, you're in the recruitment business, so you know that's so a. There's obviously a mixed bag when you look at what it's like to work with Clatter Resources, um, and there is some some negative reviews on there as well. And I was thinking, if you can't convince every employee you work with as a CEO or your credentials as a CEO, how do you how do you prove yourself as as a potential president for, to the public?
2: Um, you know, we had one employee who uh, employee who worked with us and uh, I actually never met her, uh, but she was hired and then uh, she was let go by one of my managers and she took it on her. She then said she couldn't be fired because she said she had a, an illness. And then she went on a rage on you know on on media, social media, and you can't get it taken down. I mean that's the strange thing, you know they the particular uh, medium that you're talking about actually turned around and said, well, if I took it an advertisement in their page, uh, they you know that they would actually move it down the list and I nah, I'm not really that interested at the end of the day, I'm interested in my the performance of the business and how it performs, and we have a very low turnover uh, of staff, which is a good thing, you know so.
0: So you have your base obviously there's a in Ireland and the, there's a business in America as well and you live in America and a part of this podcast we want to allow our listeners to get to know the candidates so it, it we're going to ask you a few things about things that are happening around the world, in society, globally and obviously one of the biggest stories at the moment is in America it's Brett Kavanaugh, it's the US Supreme Court pick. <laughs> um, what have you thought about the whole affair, have you been following it?
2: Oh you could not not follow it you know I mean it's it's sort of like watching a train crash you know in slow motion uh, Trump's every day you think Trump can't get worse and then guess what you know he gets worse um,
0: Do you do you align yourself with Republicans or Democrats or is that something that you're I, I interested would, in in America? I, you
2: know I, would, uh, I have not voted in America I have not taken out citizenship because I don't think it's appropriate to swear allegiance to another country the same reason I didn't take out citizenship when I was in Australia um, I, I think that uh, I would, uh, you know, obviously I'm pro business, but so are the Democrats. You know, I, I would be a compassionate capitalist. I think that, you know, we're living in, uh, you know, in an age now where it's just beyond me that we're spending in America 18% of our GDP on healthcare and we're still not providing for, you know, a large, you know, 20% of the population isn't covered. That, that to me is just bizarre, you know, and if you go up to New York, you'll see people sleeping in doorways, and that to me is just, you know, we're supposed to be one of the wealthiest countries in the world. The inequality is massive, you know, and uh, that's wrong. I mean, I went to America, I had thought America was just one country. There's actually about four different Americas. There's, you know, there's the the New York, sort of the uh, tri-state area, which is what I, I suppose I thought that was like what all America was, and then you go down to the Deep South, and you go down to Alabama, and the racism is just terrible. You know that you don't have to go too far below the surface to, it just. And I had no idea that that was what it was like in Atlanta, and that and one of my daughters goes to Alabama, well, she's now transferred to Georgia, but University of Georgia, but um, you know it's really uh, the, the the racism in america is very very uh, just very close to the surface and uh, you know you've seen examples of the the, the sh- police shootings and all that you know and you know it, it, and trumps uh, you know it's scary he gets 32% in the polls and you know no matter what he does he'll get 32% and he comes out with the most outrageous statements and uh, 32% there's a hard core of people that just think Trump is the answer to making America great again. And the fact that it's making America look like the the worst country in the world uh, doesn't seem to bother them because, you know, Trump has done a couple of things that were good, you know, that made sense. You know, like American companies were sheltering money overseas in in massive amounts that should never have been allowed. And the last tax reform that he carried out uh, basically companies had to the 14th of April to make an election as to how they handled it and they either have repatriated money and, and, and paid a much lower rate of tax or they left it there and they're going to get uh, hit at a 35% rate of tax and for that reason a lot of companies like for example Apple have repatriated 150 billion now they're not sure exactly how much money has come back into America but it's somewhere between 2.5 to 3 trillion dollars now think about that, that's 2.5, that's trillion dollars you know Uh, I mean the entire GDP of Europe of the EU is 17.9 trillion and you're, you're talking about here 3 trillion almost coming out of Europe and Asia into America Is
0: that worth it for what you were talking about earlier about the societal impact and the, the changes society
2: was? Well it's why the American economy is flying at the moment you know because all this money's come into the banking system in America now the, the the quality of that of course is the money has come out of banks over here and in Asia and they're going to struggle to pass their stress tests the, you know next year the result of that is they're, they're going to have to put up interest rates to get people to put money in the banks to keep their liquidity Ratios, uh, right? So I, I, I think it's, um, yeah. I mean, uh, people say the definition of Albert Einstein. The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I mean, we're heading for a crash, which is going to be, I think, probably better—not better, not better, God, that's not better. It's going to be bigger than the last one.
0: When you were talking about the inequalities in America, um, it's been a tough. Time for women around the the world, um, but particularly in America over the last couple of years, um, and I think some of the inequalities have been more pronounced, and especially with what's happening now with Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford. Um, and you've talked a lot about your daughters even in the last twenty minutes. Is America less of an equal place now for for those for your daughters for your for women there?
2: My daughters are like incredibly. Uh Independent, you know, and because uh, their their mother is incredibly independent uh, uh, and uh, very strong uh, and confident, they're all they're they're all very uh, self assured, you know, and uh, you know they're lucky to have uh, you know a, a mother who has kept kept them and given them a lot of uh, f- oxygen to grow, uh, but it's not it it it's there is definitely. I mean that 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 whole uh, Kavanaugh thing is. My son sent me a, a video of him uh, saying, you know, I like beer and I like, you know, I go, oh god, and that guy's going to be on the court for the next thirty years,
0: probably. Would you Would you like to see that him not be on it?
2: Oh, I think he'd be an absolute disgrace to have somebody like that. I mean you've got to think that out of a population of, what, 340 million, that, you know, even say half of them are Republicans or whatever, you know, you'd have to think there should be somebody uh, somewhere that, you know, doesn't like beer as much. And did you see the way he was, like, aggressive towards the senators? You know, like, do you like beer or do you drink, you know, what drink do you like? And I'm going, oh, gosh. I mean, just he's so disrespectful to the senators. And he's expecting these people to vote for him. You know, it's like going into somebody's house and asking for a cup of tea and then saying, by the way, your house is a mess. You know, I, I just, the fact that, can you imagine what he'd be like on the Supreme Court? Oh, awful.
0: What do you think about, obviously, from as a candidate and as a businessman, what do you think about um, gender quotas?
2: You know, I, I think talent will rise to the surface itself. I don't know that having mandatory quotas is necessarily the right approach to it. I think you have to make sure that people can... I mean, they have mandatory quotas um, in some of the schools, you know, universities, where you have to have a certain number of uh, African-Americans. And, you know, I, I think that's wrong. I think you should make it so that everybody is equal and everybody... But if it's in. not
0: happening, if say here, it's, it's just not happening that we have a 50-50 divide in the doll that I don't think that there's less women who are able to be TDs. Should we be doing something to fix it, to make sure that those numbers are, are rising?
2: Um, well, I, I don't know that putting a mandatory quota, you know, and saying to parties that you have to. I'm not sure that that's the answer. I think that you have to make it so that uh that 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 both sexes have the same opportunity to rise. But I, mean, I, I know so many incredibly talented women that you know if they went and put their hat in the ring, you know. Um,
0: what do you think is stopping them from putting their hat in the ring?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I met. Uh, I'm trying to remember her name now. There's a, an amazing, uh, Sinn Fein lady that I met, Teresa, uh I met in Kerry, and I think she's going to be a, an absolute superb. Uh, TD in the next election. I think she's standing as well, and she'll be. She's just, she's just amazing. Uh, then down in in Clare, I met another amazing uh, independent councillor, Anne Norton. Uh, you know, I think she actually stood in the last, and she was. She came, unfortunately, she she was beaten, but I, mean, I think hopefully she'll put her hat in the ring again, and I'll certainly be canvassing for her. You know, and I think there, you know, I and she'll be she'll be amazing when she hopefully gets elected next time.
0: Um, one of the biggest issues in Ireland at the moment is obviously the housing crisis and we um, had a few questions from um our own readers um sent in so we have a question here from someone about just that
3: like what what's going on in Ireland in general today um, I mean like the homeless the homeless crisis it's it's not getting any better it's you know there's more people sleeping rough um you know you see it on your work, walk to work every day and every every time you walk home it's 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 very evident everywhere um I just I just wonder how, how we got to this
2: stage. You know, there's when you're looking at the homeless crisis, you have to uh, look at it. Um, there's two there's two things to look at. One is the symptoms that's causing. You know, what are the symptoms, and then what is the root cause of it? You know, the symptoms are. You know, the the things that are systematic that cause the the housing is, uh, for example, they're not building enough high rise buildings. They're they're insisting on these uh, building uh, houses made of brick instead of timber frame which can go up in months rather than and they last for 70, 80 years. You know, in America all the houses are timber frame. So those are solutions to the problem. You could build houses much, much more quickly than they're currently building them. They could build upwards instead and, you know, have, there's nothing, you know, you could have very, very, very nice 30 story buildings like they have them in New York and they're, they're beautiful they're their looks they've got indoor swimming pools gyms you know there's no reason why you can't have a beautiful uh, high rise building uh, that would you know, help short-term solve the problem. But the real problem is there's an over-concentration in Dublin and they're not investing in the infrastructure outside of Dublin. And you've now got the the, the sad situation where people who are born in Dublin, raised in Dublin, can't afford to live in Dublin. You know, and to give you an example, you know, uh, Microsoft announced uh, there last month that they are creating 250 new jobs in Dublin. See, now, that is actually dishonest for the for the for the the Minister to say that, and he went down and congratulated them for. He, they're not creating 250 new jobs. They may be creating 250 new jobs in Microsoft, but then what happens is Microsoft then has to go and pinch the employees from another firm. So, you know, so they don't—they're not hiring 250 graduates out of you know. They're going and they will go over to Salesforce and they say, "I've got this great opportunity for you at Microsoft," and you go, No, I'm quite happy at Salesforce. Ah, but we'll give you an extra 20% if you go to you know to Microsoft." So. They go over to Microsoft. Then there's a gap over uh, at, at Salesforce. Salesforce then have to go and they go to Accenture and say, "The the guy at Accenture, I've got this great opportunity for you. To, you know." And oh, but I'm quite happy where I am. Oh, we'll give you another twenty percent. So it's musical chairs going upwards and upwards. What that means is that the salary levels are going up and up. And then what's causing that? What causes that is that means the landlords can charge more rent, and that means that the people at the bottom are squeezed out.
0: Will there eventually be a gap though in that? Well,
2: you know, eventually it's it's like musical chairs that's going upwards rather, you know, and because it's putting uh, a salary, uh, now there's also a shortage of, um, you know, uh, uh, of talent in Dublin, you know, and they need to relax and open up. Like they, they have this uh, bizarre uh, quota, uh, you know, where you have to have 50% of your employees have to be uh, EU residents. Uh, so that we were, uh, I got the head of Tata to come over to Ireland and met with Richard Bruton and Enda Kenny, Jed Nash and uh, we got the heads of all the universities into the Shelburne Hotel and the Slag Institute of uh, Technologies and he mapped out his vision for the future and he wanted to set up a centre of excellence in Ireland uh, to develop a MOOCs platform you know, for education, massive open online courses and he wanted to bring in 150 people from India to help set up the platform, and he couldn't do it because he'd be outside the 50-50 quota. And we're the only country in the EU that's enforcing that. And that's the sort of nonsense we need to, you know, get rid of.
0: Is that not to make sure that we're creating employment for people in Ireland?
2: Well, uh, no, but no, it's not people in Ireland. It's like People in Lithuania, people from any country in the EU counts towards your 50% quota. But people from America, people from Australia, people from Canada. Won't co- won't count for it uh, towards the quota. So it's it's you know and ironically you know um, it, for example. If you have left Ireland, as you know, if you're once out of Ireland for three years, you're out of the systems, you, you can't get your children back into the education system. So if, if, if you left Ireland at the height of the troubles, uh, the financial crisis, and you know you, you left with two or three children, uh, they were 8, 10, 12, and it's now eight years later, and you want to come back and get them into the university, you can't do it it's like you know so you have to pay 42,000 a year at UCD
0: Just to go back to the housing um, yep. crisis for a minute because uh, a lot of people probably won't know this but um, in Derry you um, bought a number of houses that were at risk of um, mm-hmm. being taken back by the bank and leased them back to, the tenants. Them back to that, the tenants that's a programme that a lot of people here people like David Hall are trying to to
2: mm-hmm. um, put
0: a formal grounding on so that the banks will will actually do it You've done this for 16 homes?
2: Uh 14, I believe, and then what happened was a lot of the people then came back to me and said Look, things have improved, I can buy it back, you know. And, and have you done that? Have you bought it back? Oh, we have, yeah. They've, you've let them buy mm, it back? Yeah.
0: And have you made money of this out of this scheme? Uh, made a
2: bit, not it wasn't, like it wasn't that big a uh, you know, I think they were you know, made it by the time you add in the the cost of of maintaining and the the legal fees of buying and selling them and maintaining the you know, it, it wasn't one of my better investments. But why you know, did you do it? I, you know, I just felt that there was an opportunity there. It was a you know, uh, you know, at the time interest banks in the America were paying half a percent interest on money, so i had cash sitting there getting half a percent, and I thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, so.
0: Um, just what a couple of final questions about about the campaign itself yeah. um what have you thought about a figure if you're not going to win it? what would be a disappointment to you?
2: you know as long as I can get my you know my platform across and my points across you know there's you know i I believe that you know one of the things that's now obviously coming down the pathway is brexit, and that's something that i'm very. You know, I'm very knowledgeable about it. I was actually a member of the Good Friday Peace Delegation that went to Washington that led to the the, the final talks. You know, uh, the agreement, and you know, and I, I, we we talked about all of the options. The one thing we didn't talk about uh, at, at, up in Washington uh, at the White House was what would happen if Britain left the EU. We talked about uh, setting up what would a uh, UDA. Northern Ireland setting itself up as a separate country. You know, all the options were explored and examined. The one thing that nobody talked about was what happens in the event that Britain leaves the EU. It just nobody even thought it would happen.
0: Do you think we're closer now to a United Ireland because of Brexit? I
2: uh, I believe so. I believe so. I think that uh, it's you know I, my my thought was going to happen to Brexit is there, and I've said this all along that it, it could turn out to just be like the Y2K crisis, you know, the crisis you have when you're not having a crisis that, you know, they'll grant another two year extension to work something out. And in that time, they're hoping that Theresa May will be voted out of office, that uh, there'll be a another referendum and they'll vote to stay in. That's what I think. And I've, I've said that that was my, the most likely outcome. I'm not as 100% certain of that now because uh, the people are disagreeing and contradicting each other, you know, and you've got uh, Arlene Foster saying that the the, 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 the the Good Friday Peace Agreement, which was ratified, a treaty which is ratified by both countries, you know, Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, and, and ratified by both. She's saying it's it's uh, nothing sacrosanct. I mean, then you've got uh, Leo Varadkar coming back and saying, you know, he's got agreement from Europe that there'll be no border and then you've got uh, Michel Barnier saying we must have a backstop you know so like somebody was feeding Leo uh, a line or doing something with him you know there must have you know if you have no border then you can't have a backstop You know, a backstop means you've got a border. If you have a border, you'll have to, you know, have somebody on the border. And if somebody's on the border, they'll have to be secure because people will take pops at them, you know. Uh, Even if you do it electronically and you've got cameras, people will be shooting out the cameras. Then you'll have to have people to protect the cameras. And then people will then get dragged into it. I can see it if we don't get a solution. Uh, I, I'm worried that we could end up, you know, with a resurrection of, 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 of troubles in the border areas. And if you were
0: yeah. president, then what, what do you think you could do as president?
2: Well, that's a, a good question. The president, of course, has got limited powers. Um, he can influence. And so, uh, somebody who's got my depth of understanding of the north and south and America. I mean, the solution will come from uh, influence from all different regions. I mean, obviously, President Clinton was very influential in helping bring about uh, the Good Friday peace agreement. I think that somebody who understands how to influence things in both America, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland uh, would be very helpful in the process. In terms of what the President can do other than influencing, he can, of course, refuse to accept the resignation of the Taoiseach, if that comes about. And, of course, in the event unlikely event that the, the government of the day down here decided that it wanted to invade Northern Ireland. <laughs> the, the army is of course loyal to the president, not the government. And so the, the, the that's, as commander of the armed forces, he does have that ability to, to turn around and say to the army, you're not allowed to do that. And it's okay. the only
0: before we get fifteen steps ahead of ourselves, we'll yes. leave the last question
2: to one of our readers. No, not really. I haven't heard any any advertisement, any family talk about or, or nobody has said anything about it so far. So where I live here, like nobody seems to be interested or nobody's talking about it. It's interesting. Uh, on the first day that I announced, which was, gosh, it seems like three lifetimes ago, but uh, I got a, a you know lift from a, a taxi driver. And uh, he said, oh, I just heard you on the radio, Peter. You were very good, very good. He said, oh, I wouldn't vote for you, but you were very good. Now I'm well, oh, what do I need to do to get your vote? He said, oh, I'm not going to vote for anyone. He said, I don't think we should have a president. And I think that's the biggest indictment of Michael D's presidency. The fact that a large proportion of the people feel we shouldn't have a president. I mean, the presidency is an incredible tool for furthering the interests of people in Ireland. And the president could and should be uh, a guiding light. And, you know, and for a taxi driver, and, you know, the, the scary thing is that taxi drivers usually give you a good, they're a good barometer. They say taxi drivers and hairdressers can tell you what's going on in the country. And that to me uh, is such a damning indictment of Michael D's presidency. The fact that taxi drivers are saying, I don't think we should have a president, you know, and we need to have a president that makes the makes people understand that we're, we are, that is something that's, uh, that's that's precious and something that is can influence uh, things for the better.
0: Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks very, very much, much Peter. Peter. Thank you. Welcome back to studio, Ronan Duffy. Ronan, Peter Casey, if nothing else, is really enjoying himself.
3: He is. And I think one of the things about Peter Casey is that you're either going to enjoy Peter Casey or you're going to want to throw the radio out the window. I think that's kind of people's feelings towards him. And I think that's how he knows that people see him, you know. So I I think he just loves being in the race. I think that is the one thing you get from Peter Casey is that, I'm not sure what he wants to achieve as president beyond bringing the diaspora back to Ireland, something that people are aware of, but I think he's just delighted to be running for president. I mean, he's literally said several times how he told his mother he's going to run for president and now he's running for president, so I think he's just living up to that.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of his sign that he's made it. Oh, I don't have to worry about that money or any of those businesses anymore. I can just go live this lifelong dream.
3: Well, he's literally said, you know, on the Clareburn debate that, basically losing 250 grand isn't going to be that much for him and he was laughing while he was saying it so yeah it seems like a bit of a jolly firm really
0: yeah I think you're right some people did find that charming and other people find it Mm. sickening so um one of the serious questions that has been put to him over the last while has been whether he's a feminist and I had actually asked him about the gender yeah. quotas. Do you think uh he revealed himself there as well?
3: I think he he, he kind of floundered on those questions a bit, especially, you know, when he when he said he wasn't a feminist. It just shows that it's something he's not really thought about up front. I mean, it's definitely something he's thought about now and, you know, he knows it's something that he has to that he has to answer well, but I think it seems it comes across like an afterthought, which I think is a bit of a problem for him.
0: Yeah, and his Um, opinions on Trump are he doesn't like the man but he doesn't really have a problem with his ideas that's what I Kind of got from it. That,
3: that was one of the most interesting segments in the interview. I felt when we, you you talked about America a lot, you know, in it, an, and I think that was a, a good thing to talk about because he because he likes saying how much time he spent there, you know, and he said how he doesn't like Trump and that uh, Trump's getting worse, but you know, then he went into a point where he said, but Trump's bringing a lot of money. Businesses like Trump, like that's not they're not issues that Irish people are like concerned with, you know, the fact that Trump's bringing money back to America. So in some ways, that was kind of revealing, and I, I think that was something that, you know people that will that will at least point people the direction of how he feels on the issue.
0: Yeah, he's a businessman in America, probably first and foremost. He's
3: a businessman first and foremost, full stop, I think.
0: Yeah, and he does talk a lot about the Irish diaspora and obviously, um, over, we've had two generations the 80s and and in the last 10 years of people leaving. Will that speak to people?
3: Well, you see, I think the thing about diaspora is he speaks about Ireland having his big diaspora as if people don't know about this. I mean, this is something that people are really aware of. We've talked about giving them the vote. So he's not really introducing anything new to the conversation there. Okay, he's experienced it himself and it's certainly something he feels passionate about, but he hasn't exactly given any reason why he's going to bring our Irish people back in any different way that other people haven't done so.
0: Yeah, he definitely doesn't seem to be concerned about bringing them back. It's no. M- it's more He said about he wants, like,
3: to, wants to connect them. Allow them know, to t- call themselves Irish or something. He said he wants to connect them using technology and I think anyone with people abroad, they're already quite connected with their people abroad using technology, so there's nothing really new there.
0: Yeah, he had a laugh during the Clareburn debate about how he got 13 votes um, when he went for the Shannon, Yeah, and it didn't seem to bother him at all. What do you think he can do uh, on the uh, 26th?
3: Well, I mean, I think some of the polls have shown him to be like 1%. I mean, and if he gets beyond that, I think people will say maybe fair play to Peter Casey for at least getting beyond that. I'm not sure it's going to bother him too much what he gets. I think he's he's set out to achieve something and in some ways he's already achieved it. But I think he'd be a little bit of crack in the count centre anyway.
0: Since the Clareburn Byrne debate where he kind of had a joke about, you know, only getting 13 votes in the Shannon election. He's made some comments about travellers that haven't, I I guess, that have given him rise to controversy in a campaign that Mm -hmm. hasn't seen much of it before. Do you think those comments will hurt him?
3: Well, I think what they show is that you know Peter Casey has a bit of a scattergun approach to thing, things. He's going to say you know what comes into his head, and perhaps some people might take some enjoyment out of that. But the flip side is that he's going to say some pretty offensive things, and what he said about Travers was a pretty offensive thing. So it perhaps will change people's mood about him. He's not just a joker that says kind of crazy things. He's also a joker that could perhaps say some hurtful things, and you know that could count against.
0: Thank you for listening to The Candidate with me, Sinead O'Carroll, and Ronan Duffy. This episode was produced by Aoife Barry, co-produced and edited by Nikki Ryan. Thanks to the entire team at TheJournal.ie and acting editor, Christine Bohan. Thanks also to DIT Angel Street for the use of its recording studio. Music you've heard is by Incompetech. You can find all other episodes of The Candidate on soundcloud.com forward slash the underscore candidate. Happy voting.